Hi everyone, welcome to episode 24 of Exploring Astrophysics with me, Vikram Bhamre. Between university applications and school starting, I didn't have time to release an episode last month, but the wait is definitely worth it because today I'm joined by Dr. Javier Garcia, an assistant professor of physics at the California Institute of Technology. Dr. Garcia has been looking at the gravitational fields near black holes and neutron stars to better understand the phenomenon that we see in these unordinary circumstances. What is it about astrophysics that interests you and made you decide to pursue a career in it? Well, I started my career interested in physics in general, right? So I wanted to study physics because I found when I was in high school, I, I read a few books on, you know, uh, uh, written by physicists and they were trying to do outreach. I think I read about mostly about particle physics and what was happening at CERN, at the accelerators and, and about quantum mechanics. And I found it so mind blowing that I figured, well, I, I, this is a career I want to follow, right? This is, this has to do with understanding everything in nature um, and I got hooked into that. But I wasn't necessarily thinking about astrophysics at the moment. Uh, so I started studying physics and I'm from Venezuela and that's what I did my undergrad. And I think I was very lucky that in the first year of the career, we had a, a total solar eclipse that was visible basically almost in or very close to, to the city where I live. So that meant a few things. It meant that um, there was a lot of excitement around this event. And I got, um, by, by being in the university, I got uh, involved with people that were working in astrophysics and they were in charge of organizing, you know, public talks to um, teach the public how to safely observe an eclipse. And the second thing that they were in charge of, it was organizing or helping the, the, the people that were, all the researchers that were coming to the city to do observations, scientific observations during the eclipse. So that was lots of fun, first of all. And I was, you can imagine I was very young and exposed me very quickly to just talking to a bunch of scientists from around the world, um, getting involved in, in giving public lectures about eclipses and the sun. So I think that was my first um, real connection with astrophysics. Um, I didn't, even at that point, I didn't think I would follow this particular path. I, I work, I started working more in that with those people in that lab. And that led me to eventually start doing observations in, 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 in a proper observatory of different stars. And I decided to do my research, undergrad research. Um, in astronomy but i will say after that i you know my career continued in a different way i started working on uh, atomic physics which is which which was one of my initial interests and this is done by um what i did was a computation so atomic models uh you have to set up um computational models to calculate an, a large number of quantities that are required to fully describe a given atom. And this is important because it's needed in, in other models uh, for astrophysical environments. 
And what that gave me was a very different perspective of what you can do as a physicist connected to astrophysics. And the funny thing of that is that what I learned is that in the universe, when you go outside the earth, you find all these really amazing environments where extreme conditions um, are encountered. And those are, we call them natural laboratories. The conditions, we're talking about the temperatures that you see, the densities that you see, the pressures that you see, um, are, are difficult or impossible to reproduce on Earth. So it's, it's like a two-way street where you are understanding the universe when you do observations in space, you, you understand the universe, but at the same time, you have the opportunity to uh, observe phenomena that you wouldn't be able to observe in any laboratory you can design on Earth. So nature is giving you this information for free. And for example, we learn about atomic physics uh, in that way. So I found that extremely amazing. And I just, I decided this is what I want to do the rest of my life, right? I want to do astrophysics. I don't want to do just physics. I don't want to do astronomy the conventional way. I want to do astrophysics. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. So what are you, what kind of things are you working on now? Are you, you, you said, did you transition from atomic physics? Was there like something that led you to astrophysics and, you know, begun your first research project or something in astrophysics? How did you sort of get here and what are you doing now? Well, uh, th there was there was a reason for doing the work in, in atomic physics, and the main motivation was applications to astrophysics, as I just explained, right? There are, there are many people that do atomic physics for other reasons, even, unfortunately, uh, weapons development, right? Things like that. Um, but the people that I work with in, in this particular field, everything they do is motivated by there are some astrophysical observations that are showing st some particular transitions from atoms, some particular things that need, that require to be modeled. And for that, you need the atomic quantities to, to, to produce those models. So there, there's always a reason. That meant that when I did my work, um, uh, the work I did during, this was my master thesis also in Venezuela and Caracas. And basically what I work is in oxygen ions. And that might sound weird, but it turns out that there is tons of oxygen in the universe. In, in, even in our galaxy, there is all, all the material between the stars. We call it the interstellar medium. Is has a, you know, it's mostly hydrogen, but there is, there is uh, some fair amount of other elements present. And when we look, um, when we take observations from different sources in the galaxy, uh, we'll, we'll see absorption caused by those elements. And you'll see that absorption as, as uh, we take something that's called an spectrum. It's, it's a measurement of just the distribution of light versus energy or versus frequency or yeah. wavelength, however way you want to put it. And when you look at the spectrum, you see absorption lines at particular frequencies or, or wavelengths uh, that correspond to different transitions of different elements. So what I, what I did was um, compute all the, all the transitions that are seen in x-rays for oxygen. And this, this is important because 
you need to have the, that information to model those lines and then you understand how much oxygen there is and in which particular form it is. Um, so th there was that mm -hmm. evident need and connection to the astrophysics. So when I finished my work, I, that actually led me to come to the US because the people that needed those models, um, I, I, I ended up working with them. And, and I did my PhD with that person uh, in, in Greenville in Maryland. That was a, a way to transition between atomic physics and, uh, and astrophysics. Is, it was kind of a natural transition, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Currently, I believe you're working on looking at the strong field regions around uh, black holes and compact objects. What, what are these strong field regions and what are you trying to find out about? Right. So once again, there is a connection to what I did before and what I do now. So after doing that work with oxygen, um, mm -hmm. I kept working with a group of people in updating the models using astrophysics. These are models that are used for different environments and they use all these atomic quantities that are produced by atomic physicists. And that led me to work in a very interesting problem, which is what happens near compact objects such as black holes or neutron stars. Um, when I say a strong field, uh, I, I really mean a strong gravitational field. So clearly, cl when if you're close to a black hole, you feel a tremendous gravitational force given the how much mass is packed in, in a small spatial region. So if any black hole is accreting matter, the process of accretion is just, you know, adding matter, capturing matter from their surroundings. That matter is going to get heat up uh, to very high temperatures, produces radiation. And we also see uh, atomic transitions given the composition of that material. And we typically see in X-rays, which is what, what I was working with those oxygen lines. Um, in this case, uh, the important transitions happen to be from iron. There is also a fair amount of iron in the universe, and iron can be very bright. The, the, the emission lines from iron can be actually very bright in the spectrum in X-rays. Mm -hmm. And X-rays -ray, X means high temperature, right? So these gases are very high temperature, produces UV radiation, but also tons of X-rays. So when we look at, this, at these environments, what happens is we see the emission lines very clearly from iron. Uh, but we see the line to be distorted, severely distorted in, in some cases. You expect to see an emission line that has sort of like a Gaussian shape. It should be symmetric, it should be relatively narrow. Um, however, the lines in many systems are seen to be very broad and asymmetric, they're skewed. And this has been interpreted as the effects of gravity in, in those atoms, so photons, are being produced so close to the black hole. They're not captured by the black hole, evidently because we see them, but they are close enough to feel such a strong gravitational force that there are effects that change their frequency. And that makes an emission line, instead of looking narrow and symmetric, to look very broad and, and asymmetric. Mm -hmm. So we have models to take into account these gravitational effects. Right, and they're produced. They're predicted by general relativity, basically. 
So you you build a model in which you take um, you take a, a general relativity metric to describe a space time, and you say, okay, what happens to if if I take a photon that is emitted in this location and it has to go out towards a distant observer? What what will be the path of that photon given the deformation of the space time due to the strong gravitational field of this black hole? So it won't be a straight line, it will be a curved line, a curved path. When we do that, we can actually mimic that deformation that we observe in the atomic lines in the spectrum. And that gives us direct information about what's happening there, how close the, the material is, um, how fast the black hole is spinning, because it turns out that if it is rotating faster or slower, this deformation will be different. So suddenly you, we have a tool to learn information about the black hole and their environments by just doing observations in x-rays and modeling those observations with these with this, um, computational tools that we have. Mm -hmm. So would you say that these models are accurate and you are able to model what you're observing precisely, or are there still gaps or concepts that we haven't still figured out and that is that maybe what you're working on as well or there is a number um there is a number of things um so, so i'll put it this way we have a common saying at least in my field which is there are all models are wrong that's what we say and what we mean with that is there is no perfect model there is no a single mathematical model that includes absolutely everything every effect present in, in nature is almost impossible to do that. There are so many things happening. So typically you, you, you might also have heard the joke of the spherical cow, right? You, as a physicist to describe a cow, they say, okay, let's, let's assume a spherical symmetry. And it's because we start building models in that way. We start with the simplest approximation and we slowly start putting in more and more complexities. So I will say these models have been developed for a number of years, I will say probably close to four decades now. So they're quite precise, but they're not necessarily accurate, right? And, and I, hope you, mm -hmm. I, I hope you understand the difference between precision and accuracy. Uh, we, 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 can do, we can produce very precise models in, in terms of the details, but whether that represents accurately all the physics in the system is still probably not correct. So we're working on, for example, making the cow less spherical, adding, we have, we have actually, we have assumptions about the geometry of the systems that made these models to be easy to compute, right? We assume things about where the x-rays are, are produced, um, What's we, we assume certain symmetries like axial symmetry, and there is a disk around the black hole, and we assume that everything is symmetric around the axis. So these assumptions sometimes work; they actually are good, a good approximation to represent many systems. But we have reasons to believe that there are other cases in which they won't work, because likely because there are systems in which the configuration is just more complex, and this spherical cow won't won't be as good as, as, as a representation. So we are working continuously to put more physics. Well, what happens if 
if we break the symmetry, what happens if the, you know, the, 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 the photons are coming from different directions? What happens if the composition of the gas is different to what we normally assume? Things like that. Yeah. Uh -huh. So going back to what you mentioned about uh, photons when they're near this, like a very a region with very strong gravitational field, and you said their frequencies can change due to some effects. What are what kind of effects um, are these, and why do they cause these changes? Yeah, that is. Uh, if you if you have ever heard of the Doppler effect, um, which is the change of of wavelength or frequency of an emitting source. Uh, given their velocity, right? If you hear a motorcycle pitch in the sound by the movement, how far, how fast it's moving and how far it's moving from you. So we see uh -huh. the same effect in light. We see galaxies receding uh, in different directions because their the transitions, atomic lines are shifted. It's called redshift because they're shifted towards the red in the spectrum. And that's how we know they're moving farther away from us and, and they have certain velocity. There is a similar effect caused by gravity and it's called gravitational redshift, which is photons that are, have to, to climb a gravitational potential that is very strong will be redshifted. They can be either redshifted or blue-shifted depending on, on, their, um, on their motion in the disk, but that, that is a gravitational redshift that will that will shift the entire um, emission towards the red. So this is not because of a, a relative movement towards you. It is caused by the deformation of the space-time due to the gravity of the object. For mm -hmm. a small objects like the moon, that gravitational uh, shift is not very strong. It's almost imperceptible. But again, if you're close to a black hole, it is measurable. So we see on top of the deformation of the of the emission line that I mentioned before, we see the whole profile shifted towards um, towards um, lower energies. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I never I've never heard of gravitational redshift, but so is that does that exhibit itself in the emission lines the same way that conventional redshift does as a shift towards the red, or are there anything special? Is there anything particularly special about this redshift in in when we observe it no it's, it's the same way which means that uh to some extent you need to know the conventional redshift due to the motion yeah. of the source to 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 get that out from your you know yeah. from your modeling and then whatever is left is is that that uh, gravitational redshift but this is you know it won't affect all the mission it will only affect the mission very close to the black hole right so we have a way to understand um, when we look at a spectrum, there are different components and there could be some part of it that comes from farther away. And we notice, oh, the lines are narrow, so they're not very close to the black hole. So all these effects are negligible. It's only that component that is produced very, very close uh, within a few gravitational radii from, from the black hole that are really affected by it. These are highly nonlinear effects, which means that if you move a little bit, they, you know, they grow dramatically or they decrease dramatically if you move farther away. Uh -huh. Yeah. Would you say your main research has been into black holes and looking or compact objects and looking at the strong field region or 
um have you been working on other things lately it's been mostly this so i call myself nowadays an x-ray astrophysicist or astronomer because all these observations are done in x-rays that's where we see all, all these cool phenomena and a lot of my time has been devoted to design these models that i'm talking about that not only I use it myself, but many other people in the community uses them. Um, so that requires not only building the models, it requires maintaining them. There are different computational codes that need to be written and people will use them and then come back at you and say, this doesn't work. Um, or can you add this feature that we think is important? So there is a lot of interaction with other scientists in trying to help them to and keep these models um, running. So a, a lot of my time, I will say in the last decade, has been devoted to that, uh, including, as I said, more physics and, um, and looking at many, many different sources in x-rays with different telescopes to, to apply these models. And then we, may, we, we make measurements of, as I said before, Probably the most important one is the spin of the black hole. We have we have a way to uh, use these effects to understand what's the angular momentum, and that's a very important quantity because black holes, although they're very exotic um, objects, they're also extremely simple. As a as a physical object, a black hole can be described by only their mass and their angular momentum. So basically, if you measure those two things. That that's the only two properties that describe fully describe a, an astrophysical black hole. Mm. Um, so clearly, measuring those uh, is is very important, and there are implications in understanding if a black hole has a certain angular momentum. That tells you something about how how they were formed, right? How did they acquire that angular momentum? Many of them are seen to be rotating extremely fast, close to the limit to the maximum limit of rotation um, allowed by physics, by general relativity. And that is, in some cases, puzzling because you have then to, to understand how do they acquire so much angular momentum. Mm -hmm. So for my last question, do you have any advice for students who might be interested in astrophysics in general and maybe even X-ray um, astrophysics, which is what you said you specialize in? Are there perhaps open source data sets or things available on the on the internet that people can look at to kind of I guess get their feet wet and see um, what yeah. what kinds of things are out there? Actually, a very nice feature or aspect about X-ray astronomy, and this is true for other wavelengths as well, is everything is basically every all the information is public. Um, this is because X-rays, uh, as opposed to, for example, optical observations, they need to be done in a space because the atmosphere will basically absorb any X-rays that come from anywhere. So you need to build telescopes and put them in orbit to be able to observe in X-rays. This is kind of the case for sometimes UV observations or infrared. They need to be done. Some of them, they need to be done in space. By policy, all these things, at least in the U.S., are done by NASA and controlled by NASA. And NASA has a policy of everything that is 
in a space, all, all the data has to become public domain. So they, they, they maintain archives of all the observations done by every, any telescope in orbit. And anybody can go and grab those data and, and analyze them and, and publish, right? Uh, so like the data is available, most of the tools to process the data, to analyze the data, all, all these softwares are all public domain. They are free and they are there for anybody to use. I think the main limitation is, is knowledge, right? Is understanding how to use all this. It's obviously not super trivial. You have to understand the different ways to use the software and to analyze the data. So my, my advice to any student that is interested in this sort of field, which I find extremely beautiful and fascinating is get in contact with people that work in the field and ask them about how to proceed. And there's tons of people that will help you. Um, there are internship programs. For example, at Caltech, we have an internship program for summer students. Every summer, um, students can apply to work with somebody uh, in the department. And I would say most major universities have that. So understanding which are the key places around the work, the, the work on X-ray observations uh, will be important. Um, just get in contact with somebody to, to help you because doing it by yourself is not impossible, but it will be very, very difficult. It will be time consuming because you can get lost. But if you have guidance, you know, somebody like myself can tell you, well, you just go to this website, you download these observations, you follow these manuals to process them, you, you should apply these models. I will say 90 something percent of the software is and modeling everything is, is public domain. So that's fantastic. You know, basically anybody can do it. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's great advice um, to anyone who's interested in this. Um, and I wanted to thank you again for speaking to me. This was very interesting and I learned a lot about black holes. So yeah, thank you. No, thank you. It was a pleasure.